Okay, well, you know we've uh, been studying in the Gospel of John uh, for the most part since, uh, I guess, September or the fall, so uh, you know what we've been doing each week. We, each week we discuss a little bit around why the book was written, why the Gospel was written, and of course we <clears throat> mentioned that it's a little different than the other three Gospels. There's four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call the first three the synoptics because they are similar. They're similar in style, similar in the historical events that are mentioned about Jesus and the, and the disciples. And we know John's a little different. John has uh, a lot of different things to say. His style's a little different. And we know exactly why it was written. Remember? Let's read that again. John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And of course, we talk each week about how wonderful that is. What, what a promise. If you'll simply read the book, you'll know about the, the Christ, the Savior, the Jesus Christ who was sent by the Father, that we might have life in his name. Not just eternal life, but life here on earth, abundant life. And as we talked about last week, we read some scripture from chapter 7 of John where Jesus said, if you will believe in me, you'll have a heart flowing with rivers of water. Have rivers coming out of your heart, rivers of flowing water. And he was referring to an incident during the Feast of Tabernacles where the priest would take a golden pitcher to the pool of Siloam, dip it in the water, and take it back to the uh, altar burnt offering, pour it out onto the altar burnt offering, with the Israelites all around, and uh, this would commemorate the water that came from the rock while the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. We also see Jesus saying, if you believe in me, you'll have this water. You'll have this living water. Remember he talked to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, about the living water, that she'll never thirst if she drinks of that living water that he can provide. It's so interesting, isn't it, how you can look back in the Old Testament, and we have references there, references in the New Testament back what was going on in the Old Testament, particularly when they were wandering in the wilderness, right? God was bringing them through the wilderness, had saved them from their bondage in Egypt, and they were going to the promised land. They had to wander for a little while because of sin, because of unbelief, but he provided for them. He provided living water that came from the rock that foreshadowed the Christ that was to come. Interesting how you can look back in the Old Testament and see those things after you study the New Testament, to study the life of Christ, and see that those things were pointing to him. The Old Testament, so many things, so many things that happened to the Israelites were pointing to him in the future and the things he was going to have to say. He probably said this on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, at least sometime during that time, referring to the water that was being poured out on the burnt offering. So interesting how the Israelites foreshadowed the things that happened to the Israelites and how God took care of them foreshadowed things to come. Well, we're going to read on today. Let's turn back over to John chapter 7. And we're going to read a little more about how the Jews uh, accepted Jesus. He was in his ministry. He was saying a lot of things to his disciples and to the Jews. A lot of things they didn't really understand. He was very figurative in his speaking. And we're going to read a little more here in chapter 7 about how they uh, accepted him, how they accepted his, his statements. Beginning in verse 40. Therefore... Many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, 
Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Interesting. They're stating it right there. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. Well, we know he did, right? We know he did. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They're saying, if, if us leaders don't believe, why do you believe? <laughs> wow. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? And the answer said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. They're trying to say, he can't be the Christ. He's coming from Galilee. We know the Messiah is supposed to have been born in Bethlehem. We know the, the Messiah was supposed to be a descendant of David. Well, he was. They don't realize this. Interesting how they become divided over the things they say, but they are having to deal with it. They are hearing these statements, and they've got to deal with it. The leaders, the Jews, all those who are hearing about it. He's making a fuss, isn't he? He's causing a ruckus. Well, let's read on. Well, something happens at the beginning of chapter 8, and it's a very interesting tile, uh, story. And well, let's, get, let's just read on and see what he had, what's going on at the beginning of chapter 8. Verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they, had, when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. Now can you imagine? He, he, he's like he's ignoring them. He's like he's saying, don't come to me with this right now. Don't, don't bring this to me. He knows they're going to test him. He knows what they're doing. He knows their motives are, what are you, alternative, ulterior. He knows what they're all about. Reading on. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, I know you know this passage. It's, it's, it's a wonderful passage, a statement about the imperfection of us as human beings, the statement about the perfection of Jesus Christ, who he was, his ability to know as God the hearts of men. 
This woman was caught in sin, and she was a sinner. That's true. Jesus knew that. But he made a statement, didn't he? He said, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. We can read that in John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 46. In fact, let's, read it. let's go over there and just read that a second. What's he have to say? Beginning in verse 46. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. You see, Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He came to save us. Now, we've talked many times how he is now sitting in the right hand of God, reigning in his kingdom, and he will come again. And at that time, there will be a judgment. But at this time, it was not that time to judge. He knew this woman was in sin, and he tells her, don't sin anymore. Go on. I'm not condemning you. I've come to save you. But don't sin anymore. He knows it. He tells her. He didn't step around the truth. He didn't try to um, spin it in a different way. But he knew the people that wanted to stone her needed to hear the message as well. They needed to hear that they're sinners too. It's not just this woman. Oh yeah, you judge because the law says this. But is your judgment righteous? Is your judgment true? Who gave you the right to judge at this time? He says, neither do I condemn you. Now we know we can discern. We have scripture. We can discern right from wrong by what he has revealed to us. We know when there's sin and when there's not because of that. And we should call it out when it happens. But as Jesus said, it was not the time to judge. We need to convict folks. We need to talk to them about their sin. Everyone is a sinner, and they need Jesus Christ. They need to repent and turn to him. But we are not the ones that are going to pass out the judgment, just as Christ didn't do here. And notice in chapter 46 there, he said something about being the light. Something about him, something about us as his followers, right? He makes several statements about himself and seven, seven remarkable claims, actually, in, in the book of John. Uh, we, we already talked about, he said he was the bread of life, remember? The Jews heard this, and they're wondering, well, how do we eat of him? We don't understand that, in chapter 6. Then he says, and I'm going to read our text here in a minute, how he is the light of the world. And we've already read a little bit about that in the first chapter, remember? In chapter, eight, uh, chapter 10, he talks about he's the door. Uh, in chapter 10, he also talks about him, him being the good shepherd, in chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, verse 6, and this is a verse you should plant in your heart and remember it forever. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then in chapter 15, he says, I am the vine. He reveals much about the world around us and about himself and what he has to offer us through those statements. They are figurative statements, right? But they have tremendous uh, meaning 
for us and our world. Beginning in verse 12, let's read chapter 8. And then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And, and you know, you, you can kind of understand that, right? Just because somebody says there's something don't mean there's something, right? Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. He's saying, so what? You can say that, but I know where I came from. I'm from the Father. My witness is true. But you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment's true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. In other words, if I judge you, I, I am true. I come from God. I practice His will. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. There's two right there. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. All right. Tremendous claim he's making right here, right? He is the light of the world. He has come to bear witness of the truth. And by the way, that's what he told Pilate. Remember that? When he said, are you a king? Talking about the king of the Jews. And he said, why did you come? You know, I came to bear witness of the truth. And he's saying right here, I come from the Father. I know my witness is true. You do not because you're not of the Father. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago. If you're willing to do his will, if you're following him, you'll know his doctrine is true. His will is true. Well, what's all this talking about? This light of the world of stuff. This was made by him in the treasury of the temple, which would have been part of the out, outer court, the, the court of women around the temple, would have been teaching. And they held, there, in that area, there were two colossal lampstands on which hung a multitude of other lamps. And they were lighted uh, after the evening sacrifice outside the temple there. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, it was probably done each night. And it's said that their brilliance would light up the city. And so you can imagine what that looked like, right? And he's, he's referring to that. He's saying, I am the light of the world. Again, we see some kind of figurative thing, speech, uh, an example, and he's referring to it. He's referring to living water that's going on during the feast. He's referring to the lights, the lampstands being lit during the feast. I am the light of the world. Everything, everything the Jews did pointed to him. And he's explaining it. They don't understand but he's explaining it. All this is about me. Well, what's this imply for us? What, what does this apply for us, especially today, right? Well, let's take a look at it. You know, um, we're, we're in a dark world, right? Talked about that many times. We live in a world that's very dark. There's great darkness here. Let's turn over to John, uh, Job. I want to read something from the book of Job here. Uh, 
where he describes some things about God. Job chapter uh, 12. Let's go over there and look at it. Job chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. With him, and remember Job, Job is, uh, you know, God let Satan do some things to him. Uh, he was a great servant of God. God knew it, and he loved him as his servant. He let Satan do some things to him, to his family, to his life, and Job never sinned. Oh, he asked questions. He wondered, why is this happening to me? But he knew who God was. And, of course, his friends come in and try to tell him, you've sinned, you've done all this bad stuff, and he hadn't. And he describes who God is. He knows who God is. He knows he's going to take care of him in the end. Verse 13, with him are wisdom and strength. He is counsel and understanding. If he breaks the thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away plundered and makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their waist with a belt. He leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. And notice his last three verses. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. God's in control, folks. We're in a dark world, a dying world, and without him, we have no hope, nothing. We're going to die, and we're in trouble. We need him. Turn over to Romans chapter 13. Read a couple of verses from there. 13, beginning of verse uh, 12. Let's just go to verse 11. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Fairly speaking, the world is depraved. These symbols to some of the distress the mourning, the, the perplexity, the ignorance of people, and ultimately death. What's the reality of, 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 the, of darkness? What, 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 what is this darkness? Well, of course, you see it in the news, right? I mean, we, we've got terrorism, we've got wars. We've got people being oppressed all over this world. You see it in our media, don't we? 
We have more access to media than we've ever had. I mean, can you imagine what your grandparents that have been long gone would say today if they saw all the phones we have? We'd be blown away, right? Yet that media is full of filthiness, right? Pornography. Filthy language. Nasty, dark things. Experienced in real life, right? There's things that happen in our lives. We have marriages broken up, adultery, fornication, those kinds of things. Physical abuse, people being abused for different reasons. We have religions that are false, that are prominent in our world, leading people astray, don't we? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read something there. Beginning in verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The results of living in a dark world is a mind that's full of junk, the futility of our minds, alienated from the life of God. What's going to be so great about being in heaven? Have you ever thought about that seriously? Oh, you read it, you read about how great it is, you know, and we talk about the great golden city and, and, and everything, and that sounds wonderful. But the reason heaven's going to be so great is because we'll be there with God. And if you're not with him now, you're living in a very dark place. Right? This world's very dark. Holds nothing for us eventually but death. Oh, sure, we can stay busy. We can, we can try to keep things going, keep our minds off of it, right? But at some point, you got to think about it. You got to do something about it. The world is turned over to the lust of the flesh, the lust of their minds, hearts. They turn toward lewdness, and they live in a very dark world. There's varying degrees of this, of this darkness that people find themselves in. They have to live in this world. They have to contend with the darkness, and, and we have to live in this world too. God's not taking us out of it, but Jesus offers that hope. You see, he says he is the light of the world. In this dark, dying world, he is the light. He made a claim earlier, remember? We talked about this in John chapter 1. I'm just going to read it again. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. In him was life. Wait a minute, let me read it again. In him was life. In other words, without him there is no life. You're here for a little while, then you're, just, you're like a vapor. You vanish away, right? That's it. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
Therefore, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The man came for witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. That light provides life. Beginning of class today, I read about the abundant life that you can have in his name. He is the light that provides the light in the darkness. What does the light do? It shows us the way, right? It lights our path in the darkness. You ever been driving down the street at night? And I hope you didn't do this on a, on a busy highway. And turn your lights off. Have you ever done that? Just to do it? Yeah, I've done it. <laughs> it wasn't, but just a few seconds later, I said, whoa, I better turn back on, I can't see. Right? Before I ran into a tree or a mailbox or something. You gotta have a light. It's a dark world. He is the light. And by the way, he's not a light. He alone provides the light, even as he alone provides the true and living way. And we just read that in John 14, 6. I just talked about that. didn't read it yet. In fact, let's read it. I want you to read this passage, and I want you to put this in heart. And I'll tell you why in a second. 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, how many times have you been talking to someone, and maybe you got a little discussion on religion? I don't know. Or maybe you just were talking about, do you believe in God? And maybe some person said, well, I, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, and, and maybe they've got some family that weren't believers, but they said, I'm going to be in heaven with them one day. Well, were they believers? Well, no, but... They didn't go to church. They, they weren't Christians necessarily. I mean, they believe in God. But they're good people. That verse right there says, the only way is through Him. That's it. No other way. No other religion. Muhammad don't get you there. Buddha don't get you there. Jesus Christ. Only way. And it ain't because you were just good. There's only one that was good. And that was him. So unless you believe and obey, you will die in your sins. Just saying. Good passage to remember. It might not be easy to tell somebody that. But they need to hear it. They need to hear all about that. You've got to be looking for the opportunities, too. As the light, Jesus is obviously the source of light, the abundant life that we can have through peace and joy. Chapter 10, verse 10 talks about that. John eleven twenty five 25 says we can have eternal life, including resurrection. We will be raised from the dead just like he was. And we have to be wary about those who proclaim to offer light. Turn over to... 2 Corinthians, let's read a passage from there. Paul has to say to the Corinthian church. Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. Get there. 
verse 13. Actually, verse 12. But what I do, I also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Got to be wary. There are going to be many imposters that are going to say that they are the light of the world. Got to make sure you don't pay attention to that. How do we do that? Well, the word. You got to be in the word. You got to know it. You got to be able to defend. You got to be able to discern truth from wrong. He is the light of the world, but the entire world, not just the Jews. Turn over to Isaiah. Let's read something there. Again, we're going to look at this Old Testament, how it points to him. Isaiah chapter 49. Verse 6. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of, of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Prophecy of Israel, bringing salvation to the world, to the Gentiles. Jesus' light was not just for the Jews. It's for all. Also, Paul talks about it in, in uh, uh, not Paul, but in, in Acts 26, we read about it. Uh, it's commanded by the apostles. Let's turn over there, Acts 26, and read about that. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 15. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, whoops, wrong chapter. Back to chapter 12. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Arise and stand on your feet. And I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and witness both of the things which you have seen and things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul's primary ministry was to the Gentiles to bring the light to them. Well, this light is for everybody. It's for the whole world. And how wonderful it is to know that we live in a world of darkness. We have this light, right? We have this light that can provide abundant life for us in this world and in eternity. But ultimately, who is this light for? Well, you've got to be a disciple, right? By becoming his disciple, you will have that light. Those living in the darkness, if they don't turn to him, if they don't believe, if they don't obey, they won't have the light. They won't see the light. They'll be groping in darkness, like a drunk man, as Job said. 
So those who become his disciples will walk in his light. And how does one do that? Well, John chapter 12, 46 says it begins with faith. You've got to have faith. It includes baptism. What does Matthew, what do we read in Matthew 28? The Great Commission, right? Go into all the world making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. You see, the light doesn't do you any good if you don't respond to it, right? And there are many in the world that will continue to grope in the darkness rather than grasp onto the light. We've talked about that many times. Pleasures of the world, too busy to think about it have no desire that light is there and they don't get on it how do we do that continually well we abide in his word turn over chapter 8 there in John let's see what he says about that verse 31 then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you truly have Christ? Are you truly his disciple? We're going to talk about that last verse there, I think either next week or the next, not sure which. How knowing the truth will make you free. That's an awesome statement, is it not? Free from what? Well, think about it. Free from darkness, right? He's the light. He's our lamp on our pathway, on our journey through life. So we should be abiding in his word, as he says. Are we doing that? Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Let's read a verse from there. Chapter 2. Beginning of verse, uh, let's begin in 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Let me read that again. Do all things without complaining and disputing. We don't ever do that, do we? Hmm. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Wait, wait, wait. Let's read it again. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Not only is he the light of the world, and he is the light, but by being followers of his, we become light to that world. We reflect the light of Jesus. We are reflecting his light. Yes. Yeah. In which verse there? 
that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So without fault, without rebuke, that's what, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're saying, so June's saying her version, King James says without rebuke. I would say, well, you're saying without fault or rebuke, you, nobody can blame you for anything, right? If you're living in the light, if you're a follower, disciple, you should be living a life that's without, uh, not giving the opportunity for someone to blame you or be able to say things about you. Yeah, I would say that's what that's about. Yeah. Um, so, Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's read something from there. Chapter 5 and verse 8, beginning of verse 8. For you, were once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. By being that light, we can prove what's acceptable. We can show others what the light is all about. What it means to live as a Christian. What it means to live for Jesus Christ. Tell over Matthew chapter 5. Let's read something from chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The church is supposed to be a city on a hill, a light shining to the community who we are, that they may glorify your Father in heaven because of who you are. If you're living in the darkness... If you're given over to lewdness, to the desires of your lusts, you can't be in the light because you're going to show. It's got to be in secret, right? You should be living your life where you have nothing to hide. And if you're living a life like that, you're in the light. Are you confused? Are you stumbling in that darkness? Are you making a mess of your life? Probably some of you have. And some of you may still be. Now is the time as ever to come to Jesus, that light of the world, that you may become his disciple and become a light to others. All right. Our time is up. Thanks for being here.